Good morning again. It is uh, refreshing being with you all. Uh, I don't know if you realize how you take things for granted, and then when they're not around, then you realize it. Um, But before I really get started, I just want to kind of make a statement uh, about just the current status of basically the madness in the world right now. Uh, I'll just say this way, these are strange times, I think you would all agree, and that there is no perfect game plan or answer for this pandemic. Uh, I imagine some people in the world think that we should have never closed, and some people imagine, probably think we should never open again. Um, But my hope is that we do not make decisions out of fear, but rather we make decisions rooted in love and obedience, love to, for God, for others, and obedience to God's word. So we as a leadership team will continue to listen and make decisions as the situation progresses, but thank you for being here and thank you for your support that you have shown. Thank you to the staff as well for all of their hard work. With this out of the way, okay, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 1. Today we are in our fifth week in the Gospel of John, and we probably only have 495 more weeks to go. Uh, (laughs) So, I got an amen, all right, Uh, two verses a week, that's what we're picking, I'm just kidding. Uh, But today we discover purpose. Today we discover John the Baptist's purpose, and we watch it compel his actions and his message. And I hope for the same for you all as well. Today we will read John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, and I will go to verse 34. I'm using the New American Standard if you're curious on the version. Verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny But confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Then he said, and then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? And then John said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet has said. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing? For if you are not the Christ, nor are you Elijah, nor are you the prophet. And then John answered and said, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, far beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, then the next day came, and he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he, on behalf of whom I have said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, and I did not recognize him. But so that he might manifest Israel, I came baptizing in water. Verse 32, Then John testified, saying, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Today we discuss 
our purpose, both our macro and micro, both our general purpose and our particular purpose as individuals in the kingdom of God and in the will of him. I'm sure you've all seen on Facebook this week, but the great apologist, Ravi Zacharias, who passed away, I've seen lots of videos of him posted, but he said something in one of these videos. He says this, so what it means to be human is to be created in the image of God. What it means to find your destiny is to find your creator who has created you and made you for a particular purpose. He continues, he says that you are valuable to God. You are unique, fashioned in the image of God for a particular purpose. Let me ask you the question, wherever you are, what is your purpose in life? What is your purpose in life? I remember the day I discovered my own. I came some 17 years ago. And as I put this sermon together, it was incredible that it has come that long ago to me. I was a senior in high school at Grissom High School. Whoop, whoop. Any Grissom graduates here? Grads in here? Okay, got a couple of them. All right, got a fist bump. Okay. I, uh, I was in high school. I was a senior here at Calvary Bible Church, and I remember walking outside of the depot. I remember it was a dark evening. I remember staring up at the stars, and I remember feeling like the Lord had placed on me the purpose to go into full-time ministry. But little did I know the particulars of God's plan. So with this purpose in mind, I became very involved in the church here at Calvary. I felt that God had preordained or predetermined this purpose. And this purpose with my life compelled my actions for years to come. I became very involved in the church here in the youth group. I began to teach Sunday school of teenagers, and I was a little nervous about that one in the beginning, but slowly did I realize my love of teaching God's Word to anybody that would possibly listen, okay? And I began to meet with Gary Hogan as we learned Greek, and as I walked with the flashlight of faith, God only illumined the next step along the way. At the time that I was 17 or 18 years old, I thought that I would be a full-time youth pastor the rest of my life. I thought that was my purpose. But after the 99th all-night lock-in, I, I quickly realized that that was definitely not my calling in life. I like what little hair I have left. But I discovered two things about the particulars of God's purpose. I knew that I wanted to go to full-time ministry. I knew that's the way God had designed me. But then I discovered two things. Number one, that I loved to teach God's Word. I felt like that was my spiritual gift. And that was my particular purpose in God's plan. And number two, I loved to make disciples, to pour my life into the next generation. My purpose compelled my actions to teach and also compelled my message. In college, I acquired that purpose when I was 18 years old or so, and then I took that purpose and I took the message of the gospel everywhere I went. I took it into Outback Steakhouse. Now, as a young man, I was a waiter, and I quickly became known as Byron the Preacher. I even had a guy named Taz. I don't know why he was nicknamed Taz, but anyways... A guy named Taz worked in the kitchen. I was a waiter outside, and he came up to me, and he tried to sell me some illegal items. I'll say it that way. And then he ran back in the kitchen. He said that he tried to sell 
drugs to a preacher. It didn't work out too well for him. I didn't arrest him, but moving on. But then I took my purpose, that message of the gospel, into my working career. My very first week of working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, I've shared this before, I had the privilege of leading someone to Christ. And then in that same branch, over the next two years, I saw slowly people turn their life to Jesus. My purpose in God's plan compelled my actions and my message. Let me ask you the question, what is your purpose? It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, that you are created in the image of God and you are designed for a particular purpose. What is it? The sad thing about life is that many of us have no earthly idea of our particular purpose, our God's particular plan for our life and for how to serve Him in the local church and beyond. The sad thing is that many of us will see our Creator face-to-face with little idea of how we were even designed. Today, I hope that it is one step closer to clarifying your purpose in God's plan. Today, we see John the Baptist's purpose in full display, his particular design in God's kingdom and in God's plan. We see John's purpose in verses 19 through 23. We see how then it compels his actions in verses 24 through 28. And then we see how it compels John's message in verses 29 through 34. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open that again. And as we step down into our passage, let us very quickly set the stage. I do this every week, and I hope that you do not turn off your brain when I do a bit of review. Uh, The reason I do review almost every week is three reasons. Number one, my father-in-law likes to say that repetition is theological glue. Number two is that our minds are leaky. Many of us struggle to remember what we had for dinner last night, correct? Much less something that happened seven days ago. And then number three, our schedules are hectic. So when we come into John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34, what have we already discussed? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is what? The prologue. It is setting the stage for the entire gospel of John. It introduces John, the author's purpose. It introduces the main characters. It gives us the lens to interpret the word of God. What we talked about in the prologue is that the prologue breaks down into three main sections. Section number one is verses one through five. That is the reality of Jesus. What I mean by that is who is Jesus? Who is he in reality? That he is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He is God. He is creator. In him was created all things. In verse 4, in him was life and in him was light. Section number 2 is the reason for Jesus. Why did Jesus come? Verse 9, he came to enlighten every man to the gospel. And section number 3 is the realization of Jesus. The world's realization to Jesus. And the word became flesh. What a profound few words that really is. And the Word and God became flesh. And what did He reveal? He revealed God's glory and God's grace, His unmerited and unquenchable favor. 
And now today, we really begin the narrative section of the Gospel of John, and it begins with a man named John, just to make things a little bit confusing. Okay, it begins with a guy named John the Baptist, and for the first time, Jesus' name is actually mentioned in the Gospel. But notice with me verse 19 through 23. I want you to notice as we read a couple of things. I want you to decipher how many questions do the Levites and priests actually ask him, number one. And number two, what are they trying to discover about this guy named John the Baptist? Verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And John confessed and did not deny, saying, I am not the Christ. They then asked him, okay, then if you're not the Christ, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. (laughs) Are you the prophet? He said, no. Then they became exasperated and they asked him, okay, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? Verse 23. I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet has said. What are the priests and Levites in verse 19 trying to discover about this man named John the Baptist? There's three words, right? Who are you? Now, that is such a basic question, but all of us are probably spending a life, in some regards, trying to answer that one question. Who are you? And what is his response? Well, number one, he says what? I, John, am not the Christ. Now, what does Christ signify here? It signifies that John is not the Messiah, the Meshua, the one that Israel has been looking for since the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, that John is not the one to come and fulfill the promises to Israel and to the entire world. Who is the Christ? It is Jesus, right? But then notice their frustration with John. Verse 21. And then they asked him, okay, fine. If you're not the Christ, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And then John said, I am not. Okay, are you the prophet? No. Then they asked him, who are you? I just imagine three exclamation points right beside that question and just the irritation. So that we may give an answer to those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? Now when I translated this passage from the Greek into the English, it is very clear that the Levites and the priests are beyond irritated, okay? The Greek makes it seem like they are pestering him, almost like a child who pesters their child with the incessant question, are we there yet? Okay, any parents in the room can relate to that one? Yes, maddening question, okay. They initially asked him, are you the Messiah? No. Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? No. And then, are you the prophet? No. But then let's ask a really good question. The key to good exegesis, the key to understanding the Bible, is asking good questions. Why do they ask him if he is Elijah? Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. The prophecy of Elijah is indication that the great and terrible day of the Lord is near. Elijah in Matthew, Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 indicates that the Lord's coming is about to arrive. And how does John respond? He says that he isn't Elijah. Wait a second. 
did John lie? Because what does the scripture say? John, Luke chapter 1 verse 17 and Matthew chapter 17 verse 10 through 13. Luke chapter 1 verse 17 says this, It is John who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Matthew chapter 17 verse 10 through 13 says this, And Jesus' disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. When they ask him the question in John chapter 1, are you Elijah? This is an already but not yet fulfillment of the prophecy itself. John the Baptist knows that the priests and Levites are looking for the physical incarnation, reincarnation of Elijah. John is not the physical reincarnation of Elijah, but rather unlike what they are thinking that John is rather the spirit and power of Elijah. But then notice the next question. Then they ask him, are you, okay, okay, okay. Are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Okay, then are you the prophet? The answer is no. But why are they looking for the prophet? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. And based on Peter's confession in Acts chapter 3, John the Baptist is not the prophet, but rather Jesus himself is the prophet. But this passage is full of irony. Because here the priests are, here the Levites are, here the Pharisees are, and they are so desperately looking for the signs of the coming of the Messiah, and the answers to their questions are right underneath their nose, right? John the Baptist is Elijah, but not what they perceive for Elijah to be. And Jesus is the Christ, and he is the prophet, and he is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. You know, can I just say something? In some ways, we should be like the priests and the Levites. We should be like them in some ways. In a way, we should look for the blessed hope. We should look for the return of Christ. We should look for the signs of the coming of Jesus. But in a way, we should not be like them. Why? Because they are so narrow-minded, they are so specific in the way they interpret the end to come, that they miss the signs absolutely completely. And matter of fact, what do they do? They crucify the very person that they were looking for. So if John is not Elijah, if he's not the Christ, if he's not, or excuse me, if he's not alive, physically Elijah, if he's not the prophet, he's not the Messiah, then who is he? Verse 23. And John said, finally, my purpose is this. I am a voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet has said. My first point today is let your purpose compel. Who is John and what is his purpose? He is the voice preparing God's people for Jesus. And if you notice in verse 23, it looks a little different than the normal verses. If you notice, it's probably in all caps, which tells you what. 
It tells you that it comes from the Old Testament. It comes from Isaiah chapter 40. So wait a second. John the Baptist's purpose, the reason God has designed him and placed him on earth, is predetermined. That before John the Baptist, even great-great-great-grandparents even existed, God had ordained John to be the voice of the wilderness, preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. Yes, it was preordained, but what? John still had to choose. I mean, John could have been to his parents, yeah, that's a great idea for God, but it's my life. We've all said that probably a little bit. John the Baptist still had to choose whether he was going to follow God's purpose and plan for his life. Friends, I'm going to say it this way. You are created in the image of God. I've said that already. And God has designed, God has designated your life for a particular purpose. My question is, is that will you find it? Will you follow it? And will you let it compel your life to the end? What is your purpose? How has God designed you? If you think about the Christian life, we have two kinds of purposes. We have our particular purpose, right? The way God has uniquely designed us. And then we also have God's general purpose for all Christians. As a Christian, what is God's plan and purpose for every Christian that has ever lived? Well, at least two things. The great commandment and the great commission, right? To love God, love others, and then to make disciples. But then the question I have are the particulars. The particulars of our life vary. Who are we supposed to disciple? Who are we supposed to reach? What is your spiritual gift? And how can you exercise that in the body of Christ? As I've mentioned in my introduction, one of the saddest parts of the Christian life is that some of us will see our Creator face to face without any idea of our particular purpose in God's plan. So then let me ask you the question, how do you find it? How do you find the way that God has designed you? Think about, I'm just going to quickly illustrate this real quick. Think about baseball, okay? How many of you have ever played baseball or softball, okay? How do you find out what position you're best at? You play the game, right? So the coach says, well, you didn't do very well on first base, and then, and then I ended up in the outfield because I really wasn't good at much else. Okay, moving on. Um, But we find our place by being part of the team. I think it's, let's not overcomplicate things a little bit. I think it's very similar in the Christian life that we oftentimes find our spiritual gift. We find our particular passion and the fruit that God has for us by being part of the body of Christ. By ministering in different ways and finding what we are passionate for and what bears God the most fruit through our lives. A guy named Billy Graham, you might have heard of him, said a story in a documentary. He said the way he found out God's purpose for his life was that he spontaneously was a part of an evangelism outreach, a a revival. This young man had no idea if God's purpose on his life was to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So what he did was he spontaneously went up on stage And at the end of his very first evangelistic message, seven people came to know the Lord. 
And at that moment, he said that, in, in the documentary, I'll still never forget it, he said, I felt like I had a particular talent for that call. And then the rest is history. What is your particular purpose in God's plan? We see God's purpose in verses 20, excuse me, God's, John's purpose in verses 19 through 23, and then we see how his purpose compels John's actions. Notice verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And then they asked him, okay, if you're not that, if you are not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, why then are you baptizing? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. My second point today is let your purpose compel your actions. What is the Levites and Levites and priests' seventh question. What is it? If you aren't a prophet, if you're not Elijah, if you're not Messiah, if you're not anything special, then what qualifies you to actually baptize people? Their question, their final question, in my opinion, is not so much a matter of motives. It's a matter of qualification. They're seeing this man named John the Baptist who looks a little strange in the desert. And they're trying to figure out not only who he is, but what authority does he have to baptize people. Can I just say it this way? Your purpose has nothing to do with qualification. Purpose has nothing to do with qualification, but everything to do with God's design and destiny for your life. It doesn't matter the mistakes of the past. It doesn't matter if you, are, if you fail to measure up in your own eyes. You know, you think about it. Jesus turned the world upside down, and he didn't even have a bachelor's degree. Okay? Peter wrote two New Testament books. He converted thousands to the cause of Christ, and he didn't go to seminary. Sometimes, can I just say, sometimes we disqualify ourselves when God has not. Can I say that again? Sometimes we disqualify ourselves when God has not. And clearly from the text, in verses 24 through 28, the priests and Levites are very confused. Because here's a man that has no qualifications in their eyes. Here's a man that does not measure up, and then he's doing something as strange as baptizing Jews. In that day and age, you did not baptize an ethnic Jew. You baptized a proselyte, a Gentile that was coming into the fold of Judaism. But instead, John is sitting there, baptizing Jewish people, and they're confused because in their eyes, a Jewish person had no need to be baptized because they were already ethnically included inside of God's people. I think we fail to realize in our modern culture how big of a deal baptism is to an ethnic Jew. Baptism is a huge deal. If you remember Steve Herzig, how many of you have ever met or heard Steve Herzig? Okay, good. He was our mission speaker back in 2018. He was raised in an Orthodox Jewish family. 
And I hope I don't mess up his story. But his mom said, when he became an adult and Steve converted to Christianity, his mom told Steve that she was hurt when Steve decided to follow Jesus, but that she felt that Steve had twisted the knife in her back when he was baptized. Why? Baptism is an advertisement. Steve, when he was baptized, he basically told the entire world that he is no longer just a Jew, but he's now also a follower of Jesus Christ. So when John, who has no qualifications according to the world, when John is sitting there baptizing Jews, what is he saying? That being an ethnic Jew is not good enough to inherit the salvific blessings of God. I believe that Israel is still God's nation. I believe that they will inherit what is rightfully theirs. But only those Jews and Gentiles that believe in Jesus will be included in God's eternal salvation. And that is why it throws them for a loop. John the Baptist's purpose for preparing the way compels his actions that are completely countercultural, and then it compels his message. Notice what John shares in verses 29 through 34. It is three things. And the next day, John saw Jesus. This is the first time Jesus' name is used in this gospel. And then the next day, he saw Jesus, Jesus, coming to him. And he said, Behold, Lamb of God, who carries away the sins of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man of whose rank is higher than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be made known, revealed to Israel. I came baptizing in water to prepare the way. John testified, saying, I have seen with my own eyes the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Notice he's talking in the past tense. I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and testified that this Jesus is the Son of God. My homiletical proposition, my point today is this. Let your particular and general purpose compel your actions and message. What is John's message to the masses? What is John's message to all those that would hear him in this paragraph? It is threefold. There are three ingredients that I see. Verse 29 is what? That Jesus is the... Let's try that again. That Jesus is the... Son of God, but that Jesus is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Ingredient number one. Ingredient number two is this, that Jesus is greater. But what does Jesus say about John, that are born, born among mothers, that John is the greatest? What does Jesus say that he, that I am above, that John is, that Jesus is above even me? That Jesus is greater is number two, and that number three, that Jesus is, we would say, the real deal. That Jesus is the Lamb of God, that He is greater, and that He is authentic. And how does John authenticate Jesus' message? He tells the story of the dove coming down upon Him to confirm Jesus' identity as also the Son of God. 
What did John, the author, want his audience back then to know or to do? John the Baptist's purpose was to prepare the way of Jesus, not to elevate him to an unhealthy status, which we talked about in the first chapter earlier, but that John the Baptist's purpose was to prepare the way and that his purpose compelled his actions and his message. And if my goal is today to let your purpose to compel your actions and message, then let's just ask the question. I've already asked it. What is your particular purpose in God's plan? How has God designed you? I pray that you will not wait until closer, until you see your Savior face to face before you answer that question. How has God designed you to serve? We are the body of Christ. We need one another in order to function properly. I would encourage you to be involved, to figure out your particular purpose, to see what you are passionate for and what fruit comes from your different labors. And we all know that we have general purposes, right? We have the great commandment that each Christian, every Christian that's ever lived is supposed to love God. What do I mean by that? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What do I mean by that? To love God with all of your emotions, knowledge, and actions. But we are also to love others, love your neighbor as yourself. And then we have the Great Commission to go and make disciples. How do we make disciples? It tells you in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Go, baptize and teach everything I have commanded you. Once you synthesize God's particular and general purpose for your life, then you have to answer the second question. Question number two in my application is, how does this compel your actions? Who are you discipling? It's a question I have to ask all the time. Who are you discipling? Who are you upsetting in the world over your lack, maybe, of qualifications? How do you use your spiritual gift here at Calvary? And then question number three is, how does that compel your message? In a lot of ways, our message never changes, right? That because of what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross, because God has designed me for a particular mission, my message that should then never change. What is the message that we should carry into the world? And in three words, he is greater. That Jesus is greater than me, greater than any of you, greater than the world. That Jesus is greater, that he is the son of God. That he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That he is our Savior. That he gives us unquenchable grace upon grace. That he is truth. That is the message that we must share both in word and with our lives. I share this every week. And I hope it does not get old as stale bread. But the truth is, is that you can never hear the gospel enough. That you and I are sinners. We make mistakes and that Jesus Christ has come. He is the Lamb of God which carries away the sins of the world. That word carries is a present tense showing continual action. Never ending. Never exhausted. That if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He offers to you the gift of salvation by grace through faith. That if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you shall be saved. But let us not do a disservice to people. Let us not just stop at fire insurance, please. What does it say in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? 
For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you must follow as well. If you are a Christian, then your general purpose is to make disciples, to love God and love others no matter where you are, no matter how strange you look, no matter what the qualifications the world has. The creator God of the universe has fashioned you in his image, and he has designed you for a reason, for a particular calling, a particular purpose. So then I would encourage you, commission you to go looking for the particulars. Go into the church, serve in a variety of capacities. Go into your neighborhoods and share the gospel. Go and make disciples of far beyond just your own children. And ultimately go because Jesus is greater. He is greater than all of us. He is the Son of God and He is the Lamb of God. So let us go with our purpose let it compel our actions and our message. Close, bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Um, Lord, I, I, just, I pray that we would see John the Baptist and how you have designed him and how you have purposed him. And Lord, I pray that we would not just settle for what feels good or what the status quo is, what we've done in the past or what, what we're comfortable with, but, Lord, that we would discover how you have designed us in your image. Lord, that we would be part of the body of Christ, working in our specific gifting to glorify you. Lord, I just pray that we would, no matter our qualifications, no matter what we deem as our insecurities and our inadequacies, Lord, I pray that we would push beyond that, no matter our age, no matter if we're young or old. Lord, I just pray that we would serve you in the greatest of capacities, that we would show the love of God to all those we encounter, and that we would proclaim your name boldly to the ends of the earth. And Lord, I just thank you for today. I just thank you for Calvary. I thank you for this church and their faithfulness to your word, their faithfulness to this church. Their faithfulness has just been awe-inspiring. I've just been blown away at the testimony that they have given. Lord, I just thank you for what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do uh, through each of us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.